You have 30 seconds. Find your seat. Prepare your heart. Open your Bible. Nine o'clock right now. So, good morning. Still on the guys yesterday, I, Deborah and I uh, saw our, our new favorite bumper sticker back of a car this, this week. The bumper sticker said, Do you follow Jesus this close? <laughs> How about that for a good bumper sticker? Huh? <laughs> oh. I hadn't seen that one before. Anybody seen that one before? Had you, darling? Wow. I thought that was good. Uh, my old favorite one was the one that had two bumper stickers. It said, uh, one of it was, it said, the Lord is coming back. And the other one was a promotion for Wisconsin. And it, was, it said, escape to Wisconsin. <laughs> the Lord's coming back. I thought that makes sense. Well, let's pray. Good to see you. And let's ask God to honor our time in this great book of Philippians. Amen? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this building to be able to gather here. Thank you for the body of Christ, the blessing that's ours just to be together in the name of Christ as the body of Christ is the church. And we know that there is great blessing in store for us today to be stretched, to be helped, to be challenged, to be uh, admonished. Yeah. Wherever, Lord, in whatever going on in our lives, you're working. You are always working. And how we thank you for that. And how we thank you that you've clearly revealed in your word the direction that you're taking us. And that is to make us more like your son. And we're, we, we are called to be involved in that. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're going to be in the word right now. And we thank you, the hope that we have, that the Spirit takes the word and brings it to bear upon our hearts and fashions it according to the need of our lives. We give you praise for that. Thank you for, for how great you are. We gather every week and just talk about the wonder of your greatness. Um, what a powerful, loving, just, merciful, wise, good, omnipresent, always and all that's going on with us, you're right there. In so many ways, we extol your greatness and we thank you for what a great God that we serve. Bless our time now together. We pray these things in Christ's name. Everyone said, Philippians 2. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. Two weeks ago, it was my great privilege to tackle verses 5 through 11 in that great kenosis section where We focused on the wonder of Jesus Christ taking upon human flesh, the wonder of him taking the form of a bondservant, exhibited the servant life all the way to the cross, all the way to death and the cross, and as Paul says, even the death um, on a cross. All of this for our blessing and our benefit and our, our salvation and our example, our example, because he starts it with, let this mind, what, be in The in us that's also in Jesus Christ. And then last week, in verses 12 through verse 18, the Bible does what it always does, that then it takes this great theme of the example of Jesus Christ and and encourages us then to 
to work it out, to put it to work. Um, Verses 12, let me just, just read verses 12 through 14. We were reminded of the two incredible realities. Number one, we're called to put this salvation to work. And then we're also reminded that God is at work in us as we do so, right? Verses 12, Philippians 2, 12. My beloved brethren, uh, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love the way Wearsby puts it this way. He says, what God has worked in, you are to work out. And we were reminded last week that we don't want to memorize Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 without verse 10. Can you do it? Can you quote all, all the way from 8 through verse 10? If you can't do that, that's your assignment this week. For by grace, everybody with me, we are saved through what? Faith. And it is a gift from God. Uh, not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. And then we would say, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. And here we are in those verses reminded what God has accomplished in our lives. It is to be evident as we live this servant life and we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We love Philippians 1.6, do we not? He who began that good work in you will perfect it. Bring it to its ultimate end and goal in, in Christ Jesus. So having uh, challenged us with that effect and calling us to uh, verse 14, but we want to skip over that because it talks about not grumbling or disputing. Amen. Okay. And then he says, so that, verse 15, you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. There he is, this challenge for us to live this new walk, this new life. I certainly got that in the book of Galatians likewise and what we're going to hear about putting on the fruit of the Spirit this morning. And then toward verse 16 and 18, just to wrap up the context here, he talks about the very fact of his being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, Paul's joy of offering him his life and his service on their behalf and their service to him on, on his behalf and both of them serving together on behalf of of the glory of God itself, and hopefully all of that being an acceptable sacrifice to the very God um, of heaven. And then in verses 19 and following verses 19 through 30, I'm not going to do through verse 30, we're going to focus on 19 through verse 24 uh, this morning. And so in verse 19, Paul somewhat transitions into his desire sharing his heart, his desire to come and soon visit the Philippians. Again, he's not sure when that's going to take place. Where is he? This is a what kind of an epistle? This is a, it's a prison epistle. So he didn't know all that's, when that's all going to flesh out, at least not as of yet in writing this. So his desire to be with them, but in the meantime, he's going to send two servants in order to um, encourage them and help them and uh, carry this letter, one of them, which will be Epaphroditus. Uh, Somebody's going to come back to him uh, next week. He's going to carry the letter uh, right away back to the church at Philippi. So the the Philippians are wondering, what about Paul and what's going to happen with him and when's he going to get out, if and when are we going to see him again? And, of course, Paul is always wondering, how is the church doing? He's always eager to hear back 
from the churches and his great heart for the churches is to hear that they're remaining faithful to the truth and, and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, zeroing in then in verses 19 through verse 24, the focus here is our servant supreme, Timothy. What, what a guy is this Timothy. And we're given a description, I believe, in these verses that are so unique about just understanding what characterizes God's kind of service. And I'm going to call your attention this morning to things that I think you already know, but things that we all need to hear again about being God's kind of pleasing to the God of heaven, his kind of service. So, servant. So what Paul conveys about Timothy is going to be a great challenge for us um, as well. And I, I want to just say one thing with reference to the context of this. Because we've got the supreme example of service in Christ in chapter, in back in verse 5 and following. You with me? We've got the great example of the servant life in the Apostle Paul. We've got the example of two that we're going to see, Timothy and, and Epaphroditus, as God's kind of servants. There's more that would be covered by the Apostle Paul. But I just want to mention it's all in the context of a book that's theme is joy. And we don't want to miss that. And we'll quote Wiersbe again. Wiersbe says the most satisfied life is the most sacrificial life on behalf of God and others. That's not natural to us, is it? But it's part of this new life. And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. What a great uh, theme to move toward the holidays with. <laughs> Amen? And the most wonderful thing that we will ever give is of ourselves to Christ and to one another. And we learn continually, don't we? We have to learn and relearn. That's where the joy is for us in the Christian life, loving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, and, and fulfilling the very law. I was just reading again yesterday, and I needed to read it again this morning for my own thinking of Romans 13, how it's also in Galatians and in Romans, how we fulfill all the requirements of the law when we love one another, when we love others more than we, as we already uh, love ourselves. So I think it's so fitting that all of this is placed for us in the context of, of uh, joy. Back to chapter 1, back to the very first verse, because I want to do a little bit of background with reference to Timothy and then come right back to the text quickly. Okay, but I, I want us to come back to verse, verse 1. Paul and my servant Timothy, does it say that? doesn't say that, does it? It just says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. What a team. What an incredible team that they were. There were others on the team, but Timothy mentioned so many times just right there together with the Apostle Paul. He doesn't mention his apostleship there. He could have done that. He does that other places, but right here, because of how much Timothy, along with Paul, means to the church at Philippi, I just want to remind us again, they're right there uh, together. Verse 19, now back to our text. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Now, if we go back down to verse 25 and following, it appears that he's going to send Epaphroditus right away. I think as soon as he's done with this letter. 
I think Paphroditus was carrying some news back with reference from the church there to Paul. He's going to send him right away. But he says, I want to send Timothy to you, but I'm going to do that shortly. Well, why shortly? Why not right away? And uh, the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us that. I wonder if his reasoning here is that he has expectation of getting out of prison there at Rome and that so that he could go to Philippi, not only himself, but along with, with Timothy uh, likewise. Um, some suggest some other reasons, that he wants Timothy right there with him because there are plenty of problems at Rome. <laughs> that need to be, or the Roman church that need to be addressed. And Timothy's his number one guy in helping him with all those particular things that relate to the various churches. I don't know, but he's going to send Epaphroditus right away. He says, Timothy, to you shortly, so that I may, look at this, that I may encourage you when I learn of, of your uh, condition. So nothing would encourage Paul more then he could receive good news back from the church at Philippi, and that's his, that's his great expectation. Now, um, most of who I read uh, say that uh, Timothy has been with Paul um, for uh, somewhere in the area of at least 10 years. And uh, William Hendrickson is one of those that believes that when Paul, we're going to see a text relating that, when he grabbed hold of Timothy and said, by the grace of God, you're coming with me, that he was a, a man probably in his mid-twenties. So he was a very young man pulled on the team, and he's still a very young man in his, in his mid-thirties, if, if that uh, would, would be so. Anybody want to say amen? Mid-thirties is still very young? You happy about that? Okay. Um, but I want you to come over to a couple of other key texts about Timothy as we just, for a moment, reflects, reflect on some other things concerning um, his background. If you would, turn to Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. Remember, these are called P- Timothy later on. He's pastor at Ephesus, and these are called pastoral epistles that are conveying so much of what Paul's conveying to Timothy with reference to um, the church and affairs of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Just pointing out one very simple thing here, I hope. Uh, yes, 1, 2, 1 Timothy. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Notice he repeats that again. I think I have it marked over verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, son or my, my son. Now come over to 2 Timothy, if you would. Paul sees himself as having a special role in Timothy's life. I think it would be fair to call him his spiritual father in a very real sense and certainly dear to him as a son uh, to a father. Now in 2 Timothy, this is a familiar passage to you. Um, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy. There it is again, my beloved son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, 
even as I recall your tears. I think those were tears relating to goodbye, the last goodbye that they had. Remember that scene with Paul and the Ephesian elders where he said, you're not going to see me again. And they'd, they, they knelt down and they prayed together and then they wept together over the fact they wouldn't see one another again. What was that like for Paul? Long to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Now, notice what he says next. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am sure that is in you as well. So here are these wonderful two gals, Grandma and Mom, who had an impact um, upon his life, um, even with reference uh, to his faith. And we remember a little bit later in 2 Timothy, over in chapter 3, verse 14. 3, verse 14. May all the moms and all the grandmothers be very encouraged here with the opportunity and impact you can have upon that little, that little one. You, verse 14, 314, you, however, continue the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing that from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Where did a great deal of that come from? His mother and his grandmother, uh, teaching and modeling uh, the faith to them from childhood. Um, Your labor is never in vain in the Lord, and being faithful to have that impact upon a young person's life. Turn with me now to the book of Acts over in chapter 16. Now let's connect this to Paul's um, life here with reference to his, his call and taking a, a young Timothy to be with him. Do I have this thing on? Yeah, now I, now I do. Now, here's what I think. I think mom and grandma planted the seeds of the gospel, planted the seeds of faith in that Timothy, but that Paul is the one who became his real spiritual father in just being with Paul, hearing Paul, and being taught by Paul, and hearing him present the gospel so faithfully over, don't look there yet, over and over again. So, oh, I lost it. So, uh, so faithfully, because you, did you hear what I just said, okay? And, and I, I, I want to mention that for this reason. I had two key men in my life. They're both pastors. One presented me the gospel. Bam. Kevin, you're lost. <laughs> and shared the gospel, and I believe really was key in my salvation. But I had a second one sometime later that I spent time with and followed and was in his home and went with him when he taught and asked him questions, and, and he helped me so much in my faith. And I think that was kind of a little bit. I'm not pretending to be Timothy or Paul, but I think that's a little bit like it was with Timothy. Mom and grandma growing up in the faith had this great impact upon his life. Well, look, look at Acts chapter 16, what kind of impact they had upon his life and others. Acts 16, say amen if you're there. So I just want to take a moment to praise God for Russell Bodie. Amen, Deborah. And praise God for uh, Pastor Lennon. What, what uh, patient men 
uh, they were with me. Chapter 16, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named, here he is, Timothy, follower, disciple, the son of a Jewish woman, where he heard about her, who was a, everybody, who was a what? She was a believer, but contrast to that here, father was a Greek, was a Gentile, and you better believe in this context, dad was the, he's the head of the home. I mean, dad, he makes, you know, this, in this first century, I mean, trust we true have that role as God's kind of men and fathers and dads and husbands today, but um, this was a unique situation. And yet verse 2 says, and he, that is Timothy, was well spoken by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium, these close communities. But young Timothy has a great testimony as a disciple, an impact upon others. And Paul saw the character in this young man's life. Verse 3, so Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Might have been a challenging situation they grew up in, but in the providence of God, it is exactly the background that God wanted him to have. And now he's going to use that in a unique way because of his awareness of the Greek culture and Gentile background, father, but also Jewish mother. And Paul takes him. And how this all took place, there, I, I believe, I don't know if that laying upon hands that talks about over in Timothy took place here. Somehow, I think the church might have been involved in commissioning him, or or there was prophecy that affirmed through Paul or others that, yes, he's called to go along, but now Timothy's going to leave all and follow uh, this man, Paul, for for a number of years. Paul saw that that incredible, uh, that character that was evident in this young man's Life. Do you suppose Timothy knew what he was getting in on? I think it was just, it was all vacation, traveling with Paul, right? Oh my, oh my. And yet, what a privileged calling to be with Paul and to see God work and to hear Paul preach and to serve with, serve Christ with Paul. Well, you thought I forgot our passage? No, go back to the book of Philippians with me, but I think those are key things in his life. Now, concerning this uh, bit, brief bit of background here, then I want to go to that um, quick, I realize this is a long uh, quote, but MacArthur covers all the bases with reference, this is from his commentary, as to the things that Timothy experienced with Paul over the years. So just follow along as I read this. By the time Paul wrote Philippians, Timothy had been his uh, almost constant companion for about, there it is again, 10 years. With great affection, Paul spoke of him as my true child in the faith, my beloved son, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, my, beloved, my fellow worker, our brother, and in the present letter as a fellow bondservant of Christ Jesus. Timothy was with Paul in Corinth, was sent into Macedonia, accompanied the apostle on his return trip to Jerusalem. He was associated with Paul in the writing of Romans, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, both Thessalonians, both Thessalonian epistles, and Philemon. He served with Paul as Paul's troubleshooter at Corinth, Thessalonica, Ephesus, and Philippi. And so I would say even at a 
fairly young age yet, man, he is a seasoned servant and greatly trusted servant. And that is expressed right away as we get our way into verse, into verse 20. Uh, look there with me. For I have, I have no one, some of our Bibles add the word else, I have no one else of kindred spirit. That's a totally unique compound word in the New Testament. That's why I gave you the, the overhead uh, title of this section as equal sold servant because it's, it's just that as a word. It's this little Greek word, isos, which has the idea of same or equal, and suke, and you know that word, for soul. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Uh, I, I have no one of equal sold with him, with Paul. And, and for a moment, we could kind of say to ourselves, well, that could almost be pride, you know. Uh, he's, just, he's, he's just like me. I'm not sure that I want anybody to be like me. How about you? But you know the rest of the story here. Um, I think 1 Corinthians 11.1 says it best. When Paul says to the Corinthians, you, mimetai, that's where we get that word mimic, you follow, you mimic me, what? As I follow Jesus Christ. So when Paul says that concerning Timothy, he's in effect saying, and really this is somewhat discipleship 101, isn't it? Because if we want to have an impact upon anybody's life, we want to be following Christ. And if they're going to, we're going to have an impact upon them and we're going to have an influence upon them as they follow us, we want to be sure that we are following um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, so what Paul is saying here is if I'd go and encourage you, Timothy, when Timothy goes, he'd say what I'd say. And he, he'd do what I would do. And he would think about you as I would think about you. So I'm sending my heart in this man, Timothy, and notice, he says, I've got nobody else with reference to him. He is unique in that particular sense. Uh, One other passage for a moment. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, how Paul expresses that here. And what a compliment to Timothy. What a compliment to Timothy. And I want to just push this for a moment in this sense. I'm going to give you some characteristics. I think you have four characteristics of God's kind of servant. And I think it's evident just with reference to Paul and his life and his goal and his objective and Timothy being taught that, embracing that, is that certainly you would agree with me this morning that a number one goal of God's kind of servant is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, to be Christ uh, to others. And if you look over in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, verse 17, we see this very same idea as Paul states in Philippians. He says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways. He's going to remind you of what I would do because what I would do is follow Christ, and he's, he and I are on that same path. Which are, notice I should have finished that, right? Which are what? In in Christ. Um, there it is again. Now, if you and I want to be more like Christ, 
uh, that sure puts us on the same team, doesn't it? If that's, I mean, you, you say, well, that's, yep, that's really so basic, but I want to ask you the question this morning, when you and when you are serving others or have opportunity to serve others, who is it that you're really serving? Do you have Christ in mind? Are you serving Christ? Now, why is that important? Um, Because others may disappoint you, but Christ never will. You may fail others, and others may fail you, but Jesus never fails. Can you say amen there? Right? So you're going to be a servant. You best have your eyes on who? On the Lord Jesus Christ. On Christ. Do you know, as I was discipled by the second man that I mentioned, uh, Pastor Lennon, if there was anything that he impressed upon my life as I thought about ministry, and I wasn't even sure what that all was, he said, you better keep your eyes upon Jesus Christ. Because if you lose sight of Christ, then you have your eyes on people. And you're going to disappoint people, and people are going to disappoint you. But if you understand that whatever it is that you're doing, you have Christ as the goal, Christ as the objective, then you're going to stay faithful because he is, he is faithful. No one of genuine concern, he says. Look at that verse 20 again. No one else of this same sold as Paul who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Now, there, here's a, a second mark, but just a moment before we get there. Notice that, of genuine concern, that's one word in the Greek text, and it's often used in the New Testament in somewhat of a negative way, and it's translated anxiety. It's the word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 about becoming anxious. But it is other contexts like here. He's not talking about worry. He's talking about concern. In the positive sense, in fact, Zodiades Greek uh, words, uh, workbook of, of New Testament words. Um, he says, in the positive sense, this word means to take thought in an absolute sense of something or someone. Do you see what he's saying? If I'm sending him, he is unique in that his total concern is going to be what? It's going to be on you. Absolute concern upon you and for your welfare. And I think it's fair to say then a second mark of God's kind of servant is going to be that he's going to have, you're going to have, I'm going to have a genuine care for others that is evident. Certainly, that's what he is saying about Timothy. I was tempted to use the word compassion there. Compassion. But just stated in the text by this word, verse 20, this, this total focus and great concern upon your behalf. And to do so, I think, is to serve out of seeing Christ and out of having Christ's love uh, for others. You can serve others without really caring for others. He's saying that won't be so with Timothy. Uh, Back in Philippians chapter 1, here's an example. 
115. How are we doing? Some to be sure, verse 15, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. What? They're proclaiming Christ, but they have some selfish motive in what's going on. Paul's making it sure that they understand, that we understand right here, that Timothy had Paul's heart, had Christ's heart, where his concern was totally on on their behalf. God help us with that. You can serve to be seen. You can serve to be recognized. You can serve to be praised. Can you just serve to serve because serving has you more like Jesus Christ? In fact, can you be served and be criticized? Can you be served and kicked for trying to serve and still be faithful? Or can you be like many in the church, you can serve and you're not recognized or you're not praised or heaven help us, you're criticized, so you're going to take your toys and go somewhere else. I'm speaking very frankly, but you know this is so. Don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. Why do you serve? Do we have to be recognized? you have to be stroked? Ah, look at that again. All seek after their own interests. Who's the all? They're other servants. How sad is that, huh? So God free us of that. Timothy, like Paul, was freed of self-interest. Self-interest in his serving. And I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a rare bird. Amen? May we be like that. But I think that's a rare bird that can serve. I thought that was very creative, didn't you? You don't see them every day. Um, Is it pileated or pileated? Pileated? Pileated. Well, I'm see, you don't know either, right? It's just a rare bird. It's a rare bird. God make us rare birds. Now, let me just stop for a moment here. I'm not trying to beat you up this morning, but I am trying to drive the text home. I thank God that I serve in a church. I'm bra- I give all, God all glory for this. I, I'm bragging on you all glory for this. I think we have a servant's uh, mentality at PBC. But all of us, can grow in a heart in serving Christ in this area to love to serve, to love to be a blessing, to love to help others, and to love to do this without recognition just to please the God of heaven because that's our goal. Can we say amen to that? So I I praise you for the, the, the reality of this in our church, but at the same time, I challenge both you and myself uh, concerning this. So this is a real test of our hearts. Um, Boyce says this reality of serving without self-interest is the mark of a true shepherd. And that just humbles me. And I pray it humbles us as, as elders and deacons. 
that a true shepherd, we have the good shepherd and his total concern. His concern was so much for a lost one that he'd leave 99 to go get the one. And uh, Boyce, I think, well says, this is the heart of a true shepherd. God's kind of unique service is not fueled by the, by the praise or recognition of others because God's kind of servant has a higher goal. And the higher goal, the higher motive, is to please and glorify God. And to hear one day, well done. Well done. Notice verse 21. Wow, he just drives this home. For they, I just mentioned that, all these others, they seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. So he's really marking Timothy out there, isn't he? And verse 22, he's going to take us home a little bit more with us, and we'll get to another characteristic here. Uh, Verse 22, but you know of his proven, his proven worth. And I would say it to us this way. There's different ways that we can say this this morning, and you get it from the text. But I think another characteristic of God's kind of servant modeled in Timothy is that he was faithful under adversity. That word for proven is that common New Testament word, uh, uh, dokimaso, uh, dokimas. Uh, it's the idea of testing of metal um, through putting in the fire, you know, to burn out uh, the, the bad parts, uh, but to be, to be tested by, to be changed and and conformed by testing, by trial, by fire. And you can be sure. Pastors don't bet, but they do speculate, okay? So I'm sure to speculate there was plenty of testing going on being with Paul and all that he experienced in all those places and the responsibilities that he had. And you can be sure there might have been little whispers in his ears different time. Is this worth it? Let's go back home. Yeah. But he was proven. He was faithful. Right goals upon top in his life. So I, I would assert to you, verse, verse 22, but you know of his proven worth that was evident among the Philippians and others. They saw that in Timothy. Faithful under adversity. And I believe there were two kinds of adversity that he faced continually. There's no surprise about this with the Apostle Paul. We've got that list in 2 Corinthians 11 of all the things Paul endured. Physical, persecution, hunger, difficulties, you know, shipwrecks, all the things that he went with. And so much of that, maybe not all with Paul, but so much of that Timothy experienced likewise. Never forget how 2 Corinthians, how Paul begins that book in talking about the God of all comfort And then he says this, in the midst of, we despaired even of our lives. Paul thought it was over when he's beginning in 2 Corinthians of what they went through in terms of difficulties for the sake of the gospel. Turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's just worth reading that. And I'm saying Timothy knew about that. And it was not easy. Of course, we tell everybody, if you just trust Jesus, life will go wonderful and easy. Amen? Not at all. Not at all. Mm. I'm reading this uh, book of, I read it years ago, but I'm reading again of, uh, how many remember the magazine, Israel, My Glory? Okay, in the back of the magazine was Zvi, or I think he was also called uh, Joel of, 
Jerusalem, correct? I'm reading the story of his life again, and as a Jewish young man, he went through the Holocaust. He made it to, uh, made it, uh, as a young man, made it to Jerusalem, joined the army there, and uh, in the providence of God, heard the gospel. And uh, when he trusted Christ, um, he had some key people around him who said, now, you need to understand that being a Jew here in Israel and now claiming Jesus as the Messiah, you are signing on for persecution. First thing he lost was his job. Worked for a zealous Jew who said, you're following Jesus the Messiah, you're out of here. Just the initial taste of all that it would be like. You can be sure there was a lot of that that was going on that Timothy faced with the Apostle Paul. Then I think, well, I, I got us to 2 Corinthians 1, didn't I? Verse 8, 1, 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Isn't that a great passage? Hmm. So there was, that, there was that adversity that he experienced, and that apparently made him stronger. That's God's intent. But I think there was the other part of that. It's at the list of the Second Corinthians uh, 11 list where Paul says, and then there's the reference to all of the churches and the constant burden or challenges or heartaches that he spaced, the internal disappointments, um, sad heartaches of people who defected from the faith or the false doctrine that churches like the Galatians were buying into and what, what was the, the heartache that was involved there. And yet faithful, uh, under all of that, Timothy remained faithful with Paul. And he says in verse 22, then back to Philippians, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel uh, like a child serving his father. Wow. What a statement there. Notice, many point this out. I think every good commentary that you read will point this out. When in verse 22 he says, but you know of his proven, serv- proven worth, it says that he served not under me, but with me, hand in hand. I believe it's A.T. Robertson that I have a quote concerning this for us. Yes, A.T. Robertson says, Timothy didn't serve Paul, he served Christ with Paul, but he did so in the submission as a father to a son. Isn't that a great statement? Can I suggest that a fourth characteristic of God's kind of servant is submission to others? Boyce is big on this. He said, Timothy not only learned how to submit to Paul but in Paul's leadership, but he had to submit to a whole lot of other people along the way. He learned, Boyce is big on, he learned how to work with others and stay faithful. Certainly, that's got to be a characteristic of God's kind of servant. You know of his worth. He served me with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child, child serving his father. We were talking yesterday about the fact that uh, even in some churches today, we might even say some Bible preaching, teaching churches, submission. We know in our world, submission's a dirty word. But even in some churches, it's a hard word to accept. And yet 
if there's anything true with it, we are, in being like Christ, we are to submit to one another. This is not just a marriage term, and all of us know that. Even a marriage is a sense in which we submit to one another. But even just hearing about someone, I would mention his name. I'm not going to do that. You would all know who this preacher is, but the word that I heard, he's back dealing with the issue of the role of a husband and wife in, in marriage, and he mentioned the idea of submission, and people walked out of his church. Are you good at submitting to others? You can serve without having to be in charge. Some cannot serve unless they're in charge. Hmm. Timothy, as a, as a son to a father. All to do this were called in the New Testament to do so in the fear of Christ to submit to one another. And when we love to serve one another, we don't mind then submitting to one another because in submitting to one another, we're submitting to Christ, uh, to him. So God's kind of servant wants to be like Christ, wants to genuinely care for others, faithful under adversity, and know how to submit to others in a way that is submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. And when he comes shortly, I think he's hoping to come with, with Timothy. But you know, with Paul and with Timothy and with all of us day to day, it's Lord willing. Amen? The time that we've got left, may we, may we follow this example of this unique godly servant of, of Timothy. Thank you, Lord, for this text. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how clearly Paul presents a unique servant. And as you're working in our hearts and thinking about the things that we were reminded of from the text, we thank you how you are doing just that, ever working to conform us more in the image of our supreme servant in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you in the next moment, next few moments, who are, those who are going to serve us in, in singing the new song of redemption and praise to our God. For Marshall, he's going to serve us in the Word and how we're, gonna, how we're going to be served in, in, in just going back to the cross today in the Lord's Supper and that all of us would just deepen our wonder in what it is to be made to new life in Christ and how clear is our calling on our role to be a light and servant both to those that are in the faith and to those that are outside of the faith to be Christ. And I thank you for how clear that is from your word. And we give glory to you as you work in our hearts to that end. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen.